Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hey gals, how are we doing today? Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here with y'all. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to have you, Carla. So we are joined today by our friend and fellow coach in this freedom from alcohol space, Carla Adkins. Um, She is the co-founder of Zero Proof Life. She is the author of her beautiful book, and she came tumbling down. She's also the first person that gave me the like actual hope that I could take my dream of writing a book and make it a reality when we connected a few years ago. Now that dream is not a reality for me yet, but, but it's just, it's, I will always be grateful for that conversation that we had and connecting over that. And here you are birthed this beautiful, beautiful book, you know, from your beautiful story. And we're so grateful that you're joining us this morning to share your story and talk about all the things. Thank you. That means it means so much. I remember that conversation and I remember we just couldn't stop talking and it was in the middle of writing, which just, I mean, it's you, when you're writing a book, you cannot even imagine, like you just can't imagine it being ever finished and ready to go and out into the world. And before you know it, it is. And yeah, so it came out September of yeah, September of 22. So it's been out for a little while and it has been such an amazing journey, you know, just kind of putting that out into the world and really still in disbelief that I'm actually at that place where I sh- I shared my whole story with everyone. So it, it comes in many layers, you know, just kind of that realization, but beautiful healing that comes with it. And that's what I, I would love to share for anybody that has a story inside of them. I thought I was healed and free and like doing great. I didn't know the deeper layers that still needed to come. And that's with just kind of really releasing and putting, you know, those, those things that you kept to yourself for so long and only maybe, you know, kept to yourself and then maybe even shared with a few, but to then get to the place where you're like, here it is. This is my junk. This is my skeletons in my closet and it adds a whole different layer of healing. And that's what I've seen happen in myself. So it's been a really cool journey. The courage that it takes to like, yeah, share that story and to write. And Christy's just wrapped writing her book, turned in her manuscript. Oh, so well, the very first draft, which... Carla, did you feel like this when you handed in your first manuscript? Like I was like, I don't know. I, I feel like I could potentially burn it and hand my manus my advance back. And I like I don't I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to read it. Oh, <laughs> it's so I, many I feelings. You. you will not want to read it. And I'm like, I remember asking, you know, people in that field, like, is this normal? Am I yeah. that normal to read what I just wrote? But just know, like this cool thing of the molding and shaping, and the first draft has to happen. Right. Yeah. And then and then you kind of go from there. But and it's also, I, again, talk about vulnerability, like and feeling raw, like when you hand that over and the time that it takes for people to get back to you, you're like, yeah, that's like, where I am right now. That's literally yes. where I am right now. I'm like, oh, gosh, I overshared. Well, if you need any support, <laughs> you just reach out to me. I'm going and to <laughs> please do. Thanks, babe. And it's been such a, such a beautiful gift in like getting it out. Cause obviously when you write a book and especially with my story, and I know we'll get into that, but you have a person in mind, right? And my story around alcohol takes such a dark turn, you know, it, it takes such a dark, scary turn when it comes to my health and it almost taking my life. And going into liver failure. So it's it's not a pretty story. And so obviously I had the me in mind. You know, I, I had that person laying in that hospital bed where all the plates that I've been trying to spin just came tumbling down. Hence where I got this word from, but the title from. 
And so I had this person that I wanted to bring hope and, and obviously, you know, share and just say, you can do this. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be your ending. But the coolest thing as it's come out, as the different readers have come up to me, and I will also say there's nothing like writing a book like that and getting phone calls from people you haven't heard from in probably five to 10 years. And when you see their name, you're like, I think I know what this is about. <laughs> oh, no. But but it's, it's beautiful. But I didn't know the get like the how many people that it would touch. And I that was an ex- unexpected gift. People that came up to me, you know, I, I've just taken up pick, pickleball as a fun thing. Like, oh, it's so fun. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. Yes. <laughs> guys, so guys, guys, we need to retreat. Yes. Pickleball. Okay. Right? Sign me up. Sign me up. Right? It was. It's just been a great way for me to get out, move my body, get around people. So and mm-hmm. yes. And so I've had, you know, people come up to me and just, you know, really talk about that drinking is not really, you know, an issue per se for them, but they recognize the language and the narrative and how much alcohol is around us all the time and came up to me and would say, you know what, you gave me the strength to say, you know what, I don't really want to drink tonight, guys, because, because again, that boozy culture where they was like, I felt as a grown adult, this peer pressure to drink. And I would go and, you know, with the intention of not, and I, I didn't want to drink. You gave me the voice to say no. I had someone else say, you know what, your description of giving alcohol a job, it made me stop reaching for wine at night when I was frustrated with my kids. That gives me chills. Like, so that was an unexpected and I think it's the beauty of a book and it's the beauty of storytelling and sharing those real, getting real, raw pieces of yourself. Then people can see themselves and you and, and go, wait a minute. So that has been such a gift because again, and I just have to go like, I'm so excited to be on this podcast because I love y'all's podcast and I loved you had a recent one on anxiety and I just really dove in on that. But even at the beginning of your podcast where you're say this not drinking doesn't have to be a life of misery and it can actually be peace and joy. Obviously I'm not quoting that directly, but it's that just, and that's what I want to want to come through in my story. It's like, I was so afraid. I held onto it so tight for so long. Because I had this picture of misery. I had this picture of not realizing, girl, your life is pretty miserable right now if you really want to take a look at it. And, but I want people to know, oh my gosh, this is amazing on the other side. And I'm doing things that I never thought I was capable of. Oh my God, being on a podcast and talking, no. Sharing my life, you know, in in a journey and sharing all of my story, no. But even just, again, just the little things, you know, being the mom that I'm able to be, just, it changes you. And we have to talk about it more so people realize that. So true. And I think about too, how you say that, like, you know, you, you wrote this with that one person in mind and yet the, to see that ripple effect that it has, you know, from people just coming up to you and saying, oh, so-and-so, you know, whatever it is, and it's making me rethink this. And, you know, we started, I think all of us as coaches for that same thing. Like if if there's one person out there that can hear, you know, something in my story and I can coach them through freedom, you know, to get to freedom from alcohol, then that is enough. That is why I put myself out there vulnerably and share that is all worth it. And then, you know, and then seeing how, you know, these stories that we have that keep us stuck that are, you know, in our, in our mind, in our brain that are driving the show behind the scenes of our lives. It's, it's just, it's nothing short of amazing to be able to hear that in somebody else. Like, so we can start identifying what those stories are for us that are keeping us stuck in the drinking cycle. So we can start digging out of the shame hole that we feel that we're in because of all the things. And so, um, so I would love if our listeners could hear from you kind of like, where does your story begin? And if you could walk it through, walk us through it, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'll, it goes back to anxiety and that's why I loved. And I think it was Christine Bulware that you had on just a powerful, beautiful story about anxiety. Definitely heard myself a lot in her story, but so it, my anxiety started for me in high school, And, but I would say in college is where 
really my drinking story would begin. That's where I take it back to. And that's because I will, I describe it as I started giving alcohol a job and that's, that becomes, it became my thing that helped me with my anxiety. And let's face it, you know, that's the dangerous, scary thing about alcohol is that initially when you're in that minute that you're in that moment of panic, it is so painful and you'll do whatever to get out of that feeling and something works. You're like, Hey, this, not only does this work, this is what everybody does. I mean, win-win, right? And so I was thinking, this is great. Plus you hear that message everywhere. We've been sold that lie for so long that, you know, this is what helps. Relax, have a glass of wine. So that belief around alcohol is deeply rooted and it's rooted, you know, before we even start drinking, you know, we kind of have this, oh, I just know that it drinks. You don't know where it comes from. It's just there. And so that's where I can see myself, you know, like, we'll give it a job. And then those jobs became, I started giving it raises and I started giving promotions. (laughs) Like, well, if you help with this, you can help with that too. I'm pretty insecure socially. And so, you know what, I'm going to see if this works for this. And it did never really taking a look at, okay, how did I feel afterwards? Or, you know, did it, you know, was my anxiety gone? Why was my anxiety amplifying? You know, never really thought to, you know, ask myself those questions. And again, it's why I share my story. And I think it's also a beautiful, beautiful way for parents to talk about alcohol, you know, with their kids. I feel like that giving it a job description, it makes sense. You know, I was just so honored. My sister, my niece just went to college and she used the job thing with her daughter and it clicked with her. And because not only could she see that and go, wait a minute, I don't want to give it this job to make me feel better about myself or, you know, again, anxiety or whatever it may be. She could also see people then giving it a job and it brings an awareness, you know, when you give it that kind of simple, you know, term. So that's why I love using that. And I feel like when we give it a job and that's why there's a chapter called roots in my book, I think it, that's when it gets, it gets feet. That's when it kind of starts to dig in because we start to use that tool, you know, we've got this tool in our back pocket and we're not, and because it's so highly addictive, we're not realizing we're slowly getting ourselves in trouble. And, you know, in the book I talk about, you know, I I share stories of what that looked like for me. And then, you know, really became a successful young adult. And again, had the picture in my mind, I can't have a problem with alcohol because you know what? I'm young, I'm successful. I was in sales and did well. You know, I was doing great in life, you know? And so again, it's not this picture of a person that's struggling, but I wasn't looking at that deeper picture. I was waking up every day miserable and, you know, promising my, you know, starting to have that internal worry and it's why I, I I don't like to use the word alcoholic in, in my language, because that's something that I was always taught. And, you know, I'm, I'm always, I always tell people too, like, if that, if you want that word in your life, then 100% use it. I just feel like as a society, we've got to normalize not using it because this is my reason why mm-hmm. I see it as such a barrier to people getting help. They'll say, well, I'm not that. That's what I did for years. I'm Same. like, well, hundred percent. Me too. What? So for years, y'all, yes. we're sitting there going against that one word. When it's like, wait a minute, why am I not looking and going? Oh my gosh, I am ridden with anxiety. Then, you know, this is what you know is a problem with alcohol too. It muddies the waters, and so then we start to have physical issues like you know panic attacks or GI issues, and I'm like. I I just don't, I didn't know what it was like to feel good anymore. And, you know, just to kind of like, you know, for time reasons, I'll just say, you know, as I progressed and as I, you know, the drinking just became more of my go-to because so many people, when they hear my story now sick, I got, they were like, what were the signs? What, what did you see? And honestly, when you're at that point, I didn't know what it was like to feel good anymore. So I didn't, you know, looking back, I can see my body was like, girl, I am not doing good. Like something, something's got to give here. But my anxiety 
really looked very physical and it made me feel sick. So I just, they were so intermeshed. I didn't know the difference. And when everything came tumbling down, it was truly, and I still think about it. It it goes back to people pleasing and being that girl that I was just going to, I was just going to get through this, push through this one more thing, and then I'll address it. And that's a, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book and it's called yellow. And it's because you, you see, you see it coming and you see the drop coming of me, everything falling out. And it truly was this fear that I had. And I was in a wedding. I'm like, how, how the, how I made it down that aisle, like knowing how body my sick, my body was just again, but I couldn't say no to people. It was just this day I had gotten ready for work before this wedding and I looked in the rear view mirror and that had become a habit of mine. And I love to tell that specific story because I'm not alone in that where I would look at the whites of my eyes. And again, talk about my, your subconscious trying to tell you like how deeply I was worried about my drinking because the fact of I was doing that, I knew deep down my body wasn't doing well, but I, I just couldn't go there. And I was too scared to go there. And so one morning I went and looked and I saw yellow and the fear was just, it was paralyzing almost. But again, even then I've got to push through, I've got to do this. And, you know, after that is when I feel like my body truly just said, I can't do this anymore. And I went into acute liver failure. And so my then boyfriend at the time, I dedicated the book at the beginning to my amazing husband and beautiful daughter, because he was just my boyfriend at the time and could have been running for the hills and actually a physician also. So again, that's a whole other topic. Just the idea of like what the person that goes into acute liver failure and who that is and what that person looks like. And I think at that point I was 36. And I think I'm so glad you asked that question because I think that's, again, it's so important for people to realize because I was still also hanging on to so many beliefs around. I'm young. I'm doing, you know, I've, I've, I've got time to figure this out, you know, and those kind of things don't come till later on. And and again, a big drive, y'all, to me, to me writing this book is so many things, but was what happened over the pandemic and seeing the studies and hearing what was coming out and what happened to me years ago as a young woman was now happening in droves in young women where normally when people think liver failure, it's an older man, you know, thing that happens. And, you know, now they're seeing young women and there's a huge rise. And I just knew, I was like, I cannot be quiet about this anymore. So yeah, I think it's important we talk about age because again, it goes along with those beliefs like, okay, I'm young, I've got this. I, that can't happen. That can't happen to me. You know, I'm not going to like, this can't happen to me. And I believe me, I was saying that to myself as I, you know, they took me to actually, it's in. Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. It's a smaller hospital. And that's when I saw like I, my whole body turned, you know, yellow. And it was like my body just said, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot keep pushing through. I can't, you're, you know, and they had to take me by ambulance from that ER to the Medical University of South Carolina, where again, they, they were, and I was still hanging on because they were asking me how much I was drinking. That's another question I can't stand, you know, how much I'm drinking. And I just, you know, I was lying. I was not being truthful. And it's because of shame. I wanted to bury myself. I did, could not believe that my secret was out. I couldn't hide this anymore. Now, physically, my body is failing. They actually allowed me to go home with the promise of getting blood work done in a in a few days because they wanted to just see if my body would get back in check and, and that sort of thing. And I went to the lab, got my blood work done, and I will just, I'll never forget getting the phone call. And, you know, what happens, you know, for healthcare providers when there's critical labs come in where they're dangerous labs, they get a call immediately from the lab. And so it's not like the normal process where you might hear in a few days, they let them know 
immediately. And I got a call and it was actually from Dr. Joplin. She wrote the foreword of the book, which is, again, that whole story makes me teary eyed. And I can tell I'm going to get emotional talking about it. And I always get emotional about this conversation because I was laying in bed and just sleeping. And she said, is this Miss Kephart? That was my, you know, a maiden name. And she I said, she said, are you okay? And I said, I think I'm dying. And she said, I think you are too. And it just, like every story, everything that I've been trying to control was just on the floor at my feet and said, I'm dying. And then she said, you know, can you get here? And if not, we need to send an ambulance to you again. Whoosh, like this, this realization y'all of how serious this was and how I could die. And Grady left work immediately. He called my parents. My parents came, had a very powerful conversation with my father and just, you know, looking at your dad and dad, I, they say I'm dying. And he just said, well, I want you to focus on living. And that's what I did. It was just, and again, so it, it, that was the crux of just this, my life forever changing still, you know, then I obviously was in the hospital for a while, again, just touch and go and writing the book too, brought up a lot clearly for me, because I think we can move on from stories like that and forget just how bad it was. You know, as coaches, we talk about fading effect bias and how that can happen anywhere in our lives. And it was just a reminder of how serious this was, like what happened to me. And, you know, just that journey in itself. So I was in the hospital for a while. And in the hard part about the story is where I have to talk about going back to alcohol. And again, I'm, I'm just condensing this because I want to tell people just the big parts. And obviously they can read the book if they want the details. But, you know, when my body started to get better, Obviously, I left there thinking, I'm never going to drink again. I've got this. But what I love is that Dr. Joplin in the foreword talks about how we send these people, we sent her out back into the world saying, you can never drink again. Yet she had no tools to do so. I didn't understand, you know, Mm -hmm. neuroplasticity and the ties. I didn't know anything about that. All I had heard about was this disease model and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had a disease. I just, either you are or you're not. And, you know, so eventually, you know, when life started lifing and getting hard and I started romanticizing about alcohol again, I eventually went back. And that's where, again, it's so powerful in, in our coaching and how we coach and how it's different is, is I needed some, I needed to start working on my beliefs. I needed to start breaking down that belief that alcohol helped me, that alcohol served me. I needed to learn that it didn't because I think that's another thing that we saw in the pandemic. We saw this huge percentage of people that went back to alcohol. And what I want to scream from the rooftops is like, it's inevitable. People then see it as this huge, like, oh, yep, those people relapsing. No, they just still think it serves them. They still think it serves them. And so when you're in this crunch of a time that's so horrible, then it's like, that's the only thing that worked for me. Not realizing it never did. It never helped me with my anxiety. It only made it worse. I didn't know that science. I didn't know those things. Um, And ended up being hospitalized again. And again, and I talk about this in the book, having once again, and just, I love how God does this, how I had this new doctor who wrote the afterword. She called Dr. Joplin because she knew I was just, the shame was unbearable. Could not believe I went back to it. Didn't know why I went back to it, but just felt the shame. And Dr. Joplin didn't need to, I wasn't on her patient load, but she came and saw me in my hospital room. And that conversation changed my path. It just did. The fact that she came and she sat beside me and just you know, told me, told me some of her story, told me what she saw with alcohol and got personal with me. And she says it in the, in the foreword that she, she calls it her therapeutic empathy. And I think it might even be Brene Brown thing, but she saw, she had always been taught as a physician. You don't do that. It's clinical. It's, this is what you do. And she went against it, not knowing what it would do for me that day. 
And I remember, and again, this is the beauty and coaching, going back to what you said earlier, Mead, about why we're doing this. She gave me hope in that sitting and she gave me a different view. Like, she's like, oh, you don't have to drink anymore. Have you ever thought about that? Like, and how cool that would be. And it just got me this hope. And I remember sitting there in that hospital bed going, God, I want to do that for somebody one day. What she just did for me, I want to do that for somebody. I, it was powerful, you know, just looking at this young, healthy, professional woman, you know, share a piece of her story and what it did for me. And from then on, I was on a mission. I was like, I need to figure out what happened to me. Why did I go back? Why? I don't feel like I'm an alcoholic. Am I alone in this? Am I just in denial? I, I wanted to get answers, but I knew I wanted to live and I wasn't going to if I went back to it. And also I knew I had tried other methods, more traditional methods, and that just didn't work for me. I'm very grateful that it works for other people and we have these different methods, but it just didn't work for me. So I knew I needed, I needed to find my way. And so, so thankful for, you know, this whole other world of podcasts, y'all that you're doing and how that reaches people. And I found podcasts and learning that and just drove me. And I was like, I couldn't get enough of it. Someone was finally explaining. I'd never learned what alcohol did science wise and why my anxiety was worse. So it was like getting this beautiful gift and peeling the shame away and understanding, you know, look, not stop so much looking at me as this weak, bad person and looking at the substance and going, wait a minute, I have been sold a lie, you know? And so that, that again, it's just, that's the big version. And that's how, again, I had the drive to become alcohol free. And, but then there was a long time where I wanted to, and I'm really, because I love this podcast so much, want to share this piece of it, you know, because then I was good and, but I also was keeping it to myself. And so for the first time I became a mom it was, and I was working and I got invited to this Bible study in Georgetown, South Carolina. And it was the first time I'd walked away from work for a little while. And I was like, I could do this Bible study. Had no clue what I was getting into. I told my sister, I'm like, yeah, I think it's a four to six week thing. No, it was a whole year. It was a year long, like, you know, community Bible study. I went into the study and we're studying Matthew and it was, it hit me. And I, again, I talk about this, but it was, it was about the hidden talents and it, when I say it just went straight into my heart and it was about, you know, the master giving, you know, the farmers, the talents and how some would go share it with others or like with season would make it grow. I'm totally, cause I'm not looking at the story, probably slaughtering it, but the bottom line, what resonated with me, I was the one that was buried it. I buried the gift. Cash is made me cry again. I buried the gift that he saved me for a reason. And because I was like, God, I am fine. I'm obedient. I'm alcohol free. I am good right now. So I don't want to talk about it though. And so I went into that Bible study telling the leader, like, I'm a private person. I don't share. And so just know I'm here and I'm signed. You know, that's it. That's all you're going to get from me. And I left that place with a business and a blog. And if that's not God, I don't know what else is. And this is going to make me cry even more, but I have to share this. And I've never shared this anywhere. Is that, you know, then I was continued. The healing needed to continue for me. I always tell people, and I think it's important for people to know, like what you're seeing me now, you're seeing me eight and a half years later. I did not, my freedom did not look like this at the beginning. It grew, it grew with time and healing and peeling those layers of shame back. And, you know, being able to then talk about my diagnosis of cirrhosis. Again, I became a coach and I still was refusing to talk about that. So that is what healing looks like. And that, again, it takes time. And, you know, it's giving yourself that gift to be able to do that. But I have to tell you, I was getting ready. Um, my book was launching. Golly, it's going to make me cry. My book was launching. And obviously there's tons of nerves leading up to that day. And you know how social media can give you the time hop and these reminders of, you know, where you were. And I had never seen this memory come up before. And it was me, you know, oh my gosh, because it was 2017, I think when that was it. And 
So years later, I'll just say, the memory was the day up to me launching the book was me walking out hand in hand with my daughter to that Bible study. And it just, it was the most beautiful gift of him saying, I've, I've had you this whole time. I've had you this whole time. And, you know, every time you gave it a job, I was wanting you to look at me, you know, but even through this process of sharing, I was, I was there for a reason, you know, and I feel like you can see that that's nothing that I could have planned myself. I had no idea that I was walking into that Bible study September, you know, 6th and would be launching my book September 7th, you know, five plus years, more than that, years later. And it was just a beautiful gift. And I just remember being so thankful and me knowing, like, no matter what happens with this book, I was supposed to share it. I was supposed to share it. Someone was supposed to hear it again and not, you know, because you can have so much fear, like, did I really just put everything out there? And it was just this beautiful gift of peace of saying, this is what you were supposed to do. It was just the coolest thing. And I've, I've never, I haven't had the opportunity to share it. So I'm so glad I, I was able to do that here. Oh, Carla, I just think about like, all I'm picturing is you in that hospital bed when Dr. Joplin, is it Joplin or Joplin? Joplin. Joplin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Joplin comes to see you. She's, she doesn't have to, she's, you're not on her patient load. She makes the time to come and be with you and sit with you in your pit of shame. Oh, mm-hmm. and to be with you in that. And I think that is just, and that being such a pivotal moment, like, you know, God giving you the person that could be with you in that, like Jesus does for us, you know, and says yes. like, I, I can handle it. And I'm, I'm, there's nothing you can say or do or that like, I can handle it all. And I'm here for you. And then weaving it all through the rest of your story, the way, oh my gosh, it's, oh, it's so powerful. It is. And I'm so glad that I still have a relationship with Dr. Joplin to this day, you know, and, and it's so powerful because again, I, and I, and I love it. She's so amazing because I truly spent the time of saying like, I thanking her, you know, I would, you know, on my, I don't count days, but I celebrate in the years. And so, and a lot of times I'll take the time. Sometimes I'll take the time to write her or write Dr. Allen, who wrote the afterword of the book, another huge, like huge part of my story. And she wrote for me for the book, which is such an honor. But she just looked at me. She's like, you thank me, but I need to thank you because that I didn't realize going into that conversation. She was taking a risk. She was doing something different. That was just not what they were clinically trained to do. And you know, got personal. And so then she took that. And so she was like, you have helped me in the way I practice around this. And anybody that has her as a physician, they are lucky. And she's still, obviously she's a specialist just doing liver work and studying. She's a researcher. And so I'm so glad that, you know, she's like, there's like a small army of us that, you know, get it. And again, that could be a podcast for a whole different day, you know, just really kind of infiltrating that world of healthcare providers and what they, the power, she had a lot of power in that situation. It was very beautiful what she did and it easily could have been a shaming one, you know? So yeah. And again, that's why I knew again that my story needed to get out there, all of it, you know, and just kind of stop sharing the bits and pieces and finally get to a place where I could share it all. And, and also give people the hope that if, listen, there was nothing gray area about my drinking. It was dark. It was bad, you know, but no matter where you're at on that spectrum, you know, of alcohol use disorder, wherever you're at on the spectrum, you're, it's never too late. It's never too dark. You know, there is freedom just around the corner and it's hard. Listen, it's work. It is work, but I promise you it's worth it. It is a hundred percent worth it. When you said, I didn't know what it felt like to feel good anymore. I was like, that was me. That was me. I had no idea what it was like to wake up and actually feel okay. And so that that transition of then finally starting to feel good, you know, I was like, why would why would I go back? But right. I, it, but it but the, I think that what's I mean, there's so many. I was crying. Yeah, through your whole thing because it was just so incredibly beautiful. But 
But I think what's so powerful is that, you know, you were so young. You yes. were so young when all this went down. And and I think that even though I know it's like hard to share, the fact that you did decide to go back to it shows not the weakness in you, but the insidious nature of alcohol and how addictive it is. And I mean, it shows that it does, it, it can Amen. basically almost take you out and you still continue to give it all those jobs because we haven't learned any other way. Yes. And so, I mean, Carla, I just am so grateful for you coming and sharing. Like, Thank you. I'm so thankful for the, y'all providing the space so that I can share. And because you're exactly right, I think getting into those details is so, it's just so important about not feeling good anymore. And, you know, even the detail, because I talked to many people, they're like, they start going to doctors and that's usually then, okay, they're just, and again, I'm a big fan. We, to pair up with health care providers because they're trying to figure out and the missing piece of the puzzle is alcohol. They're just not sharing with them what that is. And so there's just a huge disconnect there. And, but really talking about the age and, and we have to, we have to be talking about this. And, and again, in the, in the reason why, like until you get to, and that's why I loved y'all's interview with Christine about anxiety until we get to the root of why we're reaching for it in the first place. Yeah. You know, going there and asking, and that's something you can learn over time, you know, but again, go tackling the big ones first. And, you know, I started a program recently with my coach, Lorna, it's called breaking free. And it's because I'm like, we have to stay in the beliefs. If we don't tackle the beliefs, you know, and, and just, and I, I give the picture of my hair, my daughter's hair being this huge, massive knot looks like it is impossible to get out, but it's not. You just have to unwrap. And I see that as the beliefs that we have and the jobs that we've given around alcohol. It's just a tangly mess, Mm -hmm. right? We've got to stay in it. And I was like, we got to, they laughed at me in the groups. I'm like, y'all, we got to stay in this pig pen. We got to roll around in it and just stay in it so we can get free, you know? And sometimes breaking free of those beliefs is going to take a little time because you need that personal experience to say, wait a minute. I just got through that dinner without any alcohol and that was fine. And I had a good time, you know, or I got through that holiday and give your body and your, give your brain those experiences to create those new, you know, jobs and those new experiences that you can, you know, give life and not alcohol. It's, it's so true. It's the, yeah, we always, you know, the stories that keep us stuck and, you know, you can think about all the, the benefits that, or the benefits, the unconscious benefits that we believe alcohol holds, which are those like those beliefs based on the jobs that we've given them. And we can think about the stories of like, well, I can't be an alcoholic and an alcoholic looks like this and, or I can't be, you know, feeling this physically affecting, this isn't affecting my health physically, even though it is, but you know, it's these stories that we spin and to your point, how they all tangle together and we have, we have to unwind them and it takes, and it takes time and it takes, but you know, like starting with just like asking the question, does alcohol, like, how does it benefit me? And how does it not like, even just asking, does it benefit me all the time or, or, or not? And, and, and starting that, you know, curiosity to get to what some of those stories are. And I think that that's where obviously, you know, the work that we do and what we share with people, I love you representing too. I, as a gray area drinker, Christy is a more gray area drinker and you, you know, as a a darker drinker, as you said, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's this way of doing it. Like the freedom comes not from removing the substance. It comes from untangling, unwinding all of the stories, all of the stories. And so it might take a little while and that's okay. Yes. Yes. And that's where, again, you know, again, I love Christy that you were sharing too about like, when you start to feel good, like yes. you, it's a power that in itself is gift. Cause you're like, wait a minute, I don't recognize this feeling and I don't want anybody <laughs> taking this from me. Yeah, you know, totally. yep. this is good stuff. And I think it's a powerful question when people are toying with the idea of like, but it's so good. I'm like, do you really want to go back? Cause I can tell you right now, I know my truth and what that really looked like and going back 
that's not even an option. I don't want anybody like, and I know it will rob me of this. And I think working on beliefs is so powerful. And for me, I was able to see it because this was probably two years ago. I went through this bout of horrific anxiety. Turned out I had good old hormone things going on that needed to be adjusted. But I mean, I was just in panic mode and I hadn't experienced that in so long. And two things came with that. And again, this shows the power of this work that all of us do, no matter where you're on the scale, it works. And working on those beliefs, because I, one, gained so much empathy for myself because looking back, I'm like, I lived with this all the time. That was hard. That was hard. But also my body, the thought of alcohol was so revolting. It was almost like my body was like, well, that will make it so much worse. When years ago, it would have been my quickest go-to. And unfortunately, what we saw again during the pandemic was people feel this onslaught of this whole new, wait a minute, what's this stressful, anxious time in this life? And they had never worked on belief and they still believed it served them. They go back. When you work on these beliefs, your brain, you it works. You have these new neural pathways, this new foundation. And it's like, big X, you stay away from that and let's go to the tools that we know that works. And I was amazed by my body. y'all. I'm like in my brain, I'm like, this is so cool. This is so cool. We can turn these things around with what we think is impossible. And it's not. That's so good. Can I ask a tech, like a, not a technical question, but I thought I read that when it comes to like, you get to the point where, you know, where you ended up in hospital with liver, like fail, is it fa- liver failure, I guess? Yes. Yes. That, that doesn't, basically you don't get the warning until it's like almost too late. Is that correct? Like it can be. And that's where it's the scary thing where people, yeah. sometimes people, you know, they're getting overtime, you know, that yellowing of the skin, but they're still functioning. There's still things And what happened to me. And I think the scary thing also is that when it's acute, this can come on, Like I, you know, I saw that like there was some yellow in my eye on, you know, a Friday going to work again, important to say that because still functioning just fine going to work. And then by Sunday I was in like my body was in failure. So it's a, it, it is, it's so important to know. And again, it's why I share my story because I don't want people to get to where I was. Right. And I don't want, and I had the opportunity and it's, it was just heartbreaking. I was able to work with someone and I saw my face in her face. I saw the puffy, I saw the red and I knew she was not doing well. And I tried and I had this conversation with her about what you just said, Christy, about, you know, I look back on my story and, and just realize what a gift because my liver started back. I was sitting in this, that hospital for days, daily blood work and what they're looking for. They can do nothing for you. There's nothing they can do. There's not any rush in like, okay, we can give you this and that's going to get everything working. It was a waiting game. Is my liver going to start working or is it not? And so just praying like, God, please let it just start back. And I was, and I was able to tell her, like, I just, I don't want you in that situation because sometimes it doesn't start back. And probably six months later, it did not start back for her. This young woman that I had spoken to and again, her life was hard. There was a lot going on. She was giving it tons of jobs and just couldn't imagine, you know, her life without it and just said, I'll address it then. I'll address it when I get over this next thing. And she did not get that opportunity. And that's the real, that's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, you don't want to do scare tactics and it's not a scare tactic. It's, it's just very real. It's just very real in, in what can happen. And and it looks different for everyone, you know, and it's not because I have people ask me a lot and I know where they're getting at because I would have done the exact same thing. They're sitting in fear. So they want this formula. How much were you drinking? You know, give me your exact things because they're wanting to see for themselves. And I always warn them. I'm like, listen, what it looked like for me is going to be different for you. And I, I, I was so thankful for my healthcare providers to really educate me on that. It's frustrating for them. They can't gauge when they see it happen in someone. And, you know, they'll see someone like me come in and present. They've never seen me before. And it's all of a sudden, and she's in liver failure. And then they've got someone else that's been 
you know, drinking like a fish for so long. They're not healthy by any means, but they're, you know, still, they can't make any sense of it. And so you can't, it's a dangerous game to play. And so it is important to talk about. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you, you are, that you're talking about this because it is so important. Thank you. Yes, we do. And again, I think as we come together and talk about all of our journeys and what they look like, no matter what, that's the message I want people to hear, no matter where you are on that spectrum, this, the way that we do this, the way that we untangle this and, you know, tangle from this is so powerful, no matter where you're at. Well, and the, it's, you know, a theme, it sounds like, like shame and this story you just described, this other woman, like shame is that thing, that driving force, evil's driving force that keeps us from not wanting to talk about it, from not wanting to share. And so we have to do that counterintuitive thing and, you know, find one person that we can share this with or our concerns or our worries or the things that are, you know, it's like all those stories that I spun, I didn't want anyone to like, once I was finally aware of what they were, I didn't want anyone to know what they were. But there was also just at some point this need, like I have to tell somebody and meeting in that, you know, finding someone that you can share with. My gosh, like I just think about like the gift of Dr. Jocelyn and, you know, and I I think about how that and sharing our stories here and, you know, whoever is does like that is what starts to free us from that, from that shame and gives us that opening, that hope. Yeah. Yes. Cause believe me, I say in the book, I remember I said, I think I said shame was my ultimate silencer. It was just my, like it. And that's where it, it's so important for us to share all of us because what also Dr. Joplin gave me, which I feel like years ago, you know, alcohol, this whole world in general, is dark, dark world, you know? And again, it's like the picture of you're not, you can't function afterwards. You have to, if you don't go to meetings, you're going to then just fall off the track and you're going to relapse in it. All this, it was dark and we need, we need healthy. And that's why, again, with my diagnosis of cirrhosis, like I need to be like, people need to see a healthy face on the other side of this. They need to see a face going, wait a minute, she's doing her thing and she's living life and being a mom and going on vacation. I want that. And it's, that's why it's so important for all of us just to keep keep talking about it so they can say, wait a minute, that's, that's different than what I thought yeah. it looked like. Let's change those and stories. speaking truth around it. Mm. Yeah. I love okay. that for one option of our tiny Tina is just to like, if you haven't talked about, you know, maybe, maybe find one friend, one person that you trust that you can start talking to. Right. Because when you do that, it just, everything changes. But that's my suggestion. That. What are your guys's tiny Tina's today? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I, I, well, you know, I always have like seventeen because I'm like, and this. <laughs> but no, I, I think that what Carla has like. I mean, there's so many beautiful elements of your story, and I think about how how messy and and you use the word dark, like how dark and messy your story was, and yet the beauty that comes on the other side of that and, and from the place of kind of like not like, you know, turning against, like, I'm finally going to do something in this shame, even though that wasn't like a conscious decision, but having this person who met you in that and allowed you kind of like that, that step forward out of it. So yeah, finding someone and just, it's kind of that radical honesty with ourselves. And when you, that is, there's so much freedom in meeting the truth of like, I don't want to be drinking anymore and I'm drinking and yet I can't stop. So like this sucks or, you know, yeah. Finding that one person I had called my girlfriend, you know, I called my one girlfriend that I was like, I know she won't judge me and I can share with her. And that was a huge pivotal moment for me. So yeah. And I love that. Know. And yeah, it goes down to, cause I think about those small conversations and how, how we never know, like the power and what seed can be planted. And, and I think that is, it's just when you're keeping this, to yourself, you know, that carries such a high pain point. And it's like, it impacts us no matter where you are on it, just not in liking or drinking or you're scared, you know, physically about no matter where you're at there. 
it consumes us and it impacts us in physical ways and emotional ways. And like, that's what I've always gone back to when I started my coaching business was that I wanted to provide, and it goes back to that hospital room. I wanted to provide a safe judgment-free zone where someone could just whisper it out for the first time. And just, I want to encourage people, the weight that comes off with just doing that alone and get a glimpse of, you know, what this could look like for you is so powerful. So yes, finding that person, finding that space, but taking that step for yourself, just make, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and taking that one step and just realizing how powerful that can be. Oh my gosh. Well, Carla, tell everybody where they can find you. And obviously we will put everything in the show notes so everyone can find it there as well. But where can people find you and the book and your practice and everything? Yes, absolutely. Well, you can just go to CarlaAdkins.com and, you, you know, it says the different things that I do. You can also go to the ZeroProofLife.com. I coach with four other amazing coaches in there and, you know, work with people that have stepped away from alcohol and then trying to figure out how to do this thing called life without it. But we also have amazing challenges in there. So again, you can all find all of this on my website. Also, like I've mentioned, started doing Breaking Free. And that's truly where we stay in these beliefs. And we just stay there for eight weeks and we bring in the inner critic, you know, that good old shamer voice and lean into that. I mean, you can find my book on my website or on Amazon. And I have just loved this opportunity to talk with y'all again. I'm a fan of your podcast. So thank you for doing what you do. And again, I go back to where the podcast, you know, finding podcasts is where I was like, oh my gosh. And I got to hear that voice that I recognized in myself. So I love what y'all are doing. Well, we adore you and thank you so much. What a gift, what a gift you've been to us and, and our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.